What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared, and I'm joined here with the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Jacob. Hello, hello. And Amanda. Sup? And Lux. Yo. Uh, Ryan could not join us today because he mm. hasn't seen the movie because he was too afraid of being shot to, <laughs> oh, to wow. see it this week. <laughs> uh, gotta go to a good movie theater. Um, today we're breaking down Joker, the 2019 film starring Joaquin Phoenix and Robert De Niro, directed by Todd Phillips. But before we get into that, a couple things I want to go through up top. So first of all, I've mentioned this a couple times. You're probably sick of hearing it from me, from those of you who listen regularly. But we now have articles at medium.com slash wisecrack. We now have a partnership with Medium, and we are publishing two to three articles a week so check us out at medium.com slash wisecrack share the articles subscribe to the publication also the four of us here are uh, doing our south park podcast uh, every week we're covering every episode as it comes out during south park's 23rd season it's called respect our authoritas so check that out on itunes and subscribe to that also um austin film festival i'm going to be going to the austin film festival it's happening late this month I'm going to be doing some panels. I'm going to be meeting other writers. If you would like to meet me there, if you'd like to go to some panels with me, if you'd like to just experience the whole vibe with me, go to austinfilmfestival.com. There's actually a link in the show notes. You can get $25 off a badge using the promo code WISECRACK25. Once again, it's an October 24th through 31st in Austin, Texas. And the last thing I want to mention is that Rick and Morty's coming back November 10th, and we're going to be doing our podcast, The Squanch. So search Squanch on iTunes. We're going to be covering every episode just like we have the last season, so be sure to subscribe to that. And anyway, enough with the announcements. Let's get into this movie, Joker. Let's get into first impressions. What was it like watching this movie? Let's start with Amanda. Okay, so Jacob and I saw it together, and I don't want to steal any of his reaction, but we were spooked. Um, I really was not expecting to like it. I'm not like a huge comic book nerd. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with being a comic book nerd. I'm just not. And I really actually super enjoyed it um, cinematically. I thought it was completely compelling. I wasn't bored a single second. And I also think it might be bad for the world i don't know i'm really conflict i've never been this conflicted about a movie cool wow jacob yeah i i was terrified spooked in a way that most movies don't haunt me i watch scary movies all the time i like them i find them kind of pulpy and fun and silly this was like where it was really chilling for me i think i told you that after i saw it uh amanda and i probably took like 30 minutes maybe an hour to calm down afterward, where I felt there was a couple things. It felt super imminent. It didn't, you know, most big movies feel like the big problem, the world's going to come to an end. That's going to happen like, oh, like in the far future. This felt like it could happen in eight weeks. And then like <laughs> watching crumbling Gotham look like my street that I live on. <laughs> so it just, it was very imminent. And then it was very spooky to watch a character like that unfold and to see the rallying and excitement from the the people around him and i just felt like man i felt truly haunted psychologically i just felt like it was a, a true spook spooktacular so i was horrified but i thought it was a beautiful movie cinematically fantastic also not a huge comic book person uh but found this to be like the movie that was the crossover movie i loved it so i thought yeah a plus 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 great job bravo todd phillips but also scary Mm. And, and and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I wonder if having less adoration or less investment in comics, or specifically the Joker character, mm -hmm. is actually mm -hmm. a good thing going into this movie. Yeah. Because, uh, well, I want to let Lux go first before I give my opinions. Go for it, Lux. Um, yeah, I had a real different reaction than you guys to this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, I had like a tripartite reaction to this movie. There's like three versions of this movie that exist in my head at the same time. There's like this movie is just a piece of cinema where it's like a C plus like it looks great the performances are good the script is garbage, oof but it's like it looks good and uh, the performances are great. There's the <laughs> social socio political version of this movie which is just like pure dog shit and like incoherent nonsense. Uh, and then there's like the version of this movie that's a satire of people who give a shit about the Joker, which is like a plus plus to me. Yeah, I I, I don't think that I, I don't think that, that one's in there, but go ahead. <laughs> I I don't think it's on purpose. But there's like you can you don't even have to squint that hard to see that in the movie. And I can talk more about why later. But like, I found this movie to be so fucking funny. I thought it was. I mean, I laughed throughout the movie. <laughs> Just totally so different. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Were other people in the theater laughing, or were you the only one? Uh, me, my friend Rory, uh, who I went with, and a few other people in the theater also seemed to find it very funny. 
I think I would have been annoyed if if people were laughing yeah. in the theater. It would have totally killed it for me. I mean, yeah. I just thought well, the movie was I a think, big fucking joke. Like the, the theater experience, I think, is important because I I had a hard time staying in it, yeah. especially you had someone next to you, like on their phone or something. Yeah, someone next to me was on my phone the whole or on their phone the whole time, not on my phone. That would be really weird. <laughs> uh, oh, Jared, I think you have a nice picture. Yeah, they were on their phone the whole time. Kept taking me out of it. I'll start with the good. I'm wishy-washy on this film. I have very mixed feelings, and there are times when I think about it, and I really appreciate it, and there are times where I don't like it. And I think the times when I don't like it is when I start considering it in the context of it being a Batman film slash comic film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the good. The good, of course, Joaquin Phoenix. doesn't even have to be said. He's so good in everything that he does, and especially when there's a dark role, he always comes and he nails it. Um, I like the idea that this movie is kind of looking to elevate the comic book to a cultural myth that can be gracefully molded to sociopolitical questions of our era. I like that movement for comic book films, and so that I like about this movie. But the more, whenever I, whenever the movie would lean into the Batman thing with Thomas Wayne and especially the end, it just reminded me that, you know, if you know anything about the Joker, this is a story the Joker would laugh at. Mm-hmm. And... I think the greatest sin a Joker movie could ever commit is to take itself too seriously. And I think that this movie sometimes dips into that. The big thing for me was the cello. Whenever Which I loved. But, the the but cello was, is just, I mean, when you use a like cello, Requiem. like Requiem for a Dream, you are doing the most serious instrument possible. And if it were me, I would have replaced those scenes with scenes of him pleasing an audience with his acts of violence. Like instead of him going to the bathroom and performing with like this cello, I would much perform it, I would much prefer it be, or at least we see in his mind, because it seems like in his mind, he's performing to an audience like Rupert Pupkin does in The King of Comedy. And mm-hmm. so I would have preferred to see that rather than the cello, which all it says to me is you should be taking this very seriously mm-hmm. because it's very this important. This is grave. Very important time. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very important moment. Uh, having said that, I think that cinema, the cinematography is great. The performances are great. It looks great. I like the movement towards comic book movies that aren't so tied to the properties or like the comic books that they were based off of. So I like that. But uh, we'll get into more of it. Let's do a recap. So mentally ill party clown Arthur Fleck lives with his mom in the slums of Gotham, a city that is on the brink of civil unrest due to rampant inequality. His mother, Penny, constantly sends letters to her former employer, billionaire philanthropist and future mayoral candidate Thomas Wayne, beseeching him to help her and her son. All the while, Arthur hangs on to his dream of being a comedian just like his idol, late-night host Murray Franklin. After Arthur is fired from clowning and cut off from his medication due to public services being cut, he boards a train where three drunk bankers assault him. He snaps and kills them. The image of a clown killing the wealthy inspires a populist movement, further fueled by Thomas Wayne's dismissal of those who can't make something of themselves as clowns. Arthur starts a relationship with his neighbor Sophie and invites her to see him do stand-up at a local club. Upon opening one of his mother's letters to Wayne, he discovers that she is claiming that Wayne is his father. So Arthur seeks out Wayne, looking for some fatherly recognition. But Wayne tells him that his mother is mentally ill and fabricated the story. After Arthur corroborates the story at Arkham Mental Asylum, it's revealed that his relationship with Sophie was a delusion. On TV, he sees that a taping of him bombing at the comedy club is the newest punchline on The Murray Franklin Show. As Arthur descends deeper into violent insanity and Gotham further into turmoil, Arthur is invited on the show. Donning his Joker makeup, Arthur accuses Murray and the rest of the wealthy of not even recognizing the have-nots as human beings. He kills Murray, starting a riot in the city. During the riot, Thomas and Martha Wayne are killed by a rioter, and Joker is applauded by the masses. In the end, Arthur is in Arkham Asylum, still laughing and still killing. End of movie. All right, guys, before we go on, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a longtime passion project, challenging yourself to get outside of your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. So Jacob, you've taken some classes on Skillshare. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, Thomas Frank has a class on productivity that I've taken that's pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, which helped me kind of organize my life and my day a bit more. 
And then I've also uh, taken the In a Nutshell animation class. So In a Nutshell, another amazing, cool YouTube channel that we collaborate with in the past. And uh, they kind of walk through how they take their illustrations and animate them. So it's a really cool uh, class. I think they actually have a second one already out or coming out too. And then I've taken some piano classes on there too. So learning how to I'm trying to up my game on the chord side of piano because mm. I'm not very good. I'm better at guitar. But yeah, they've got everything. Like no matter what you want to learn, just jump on there, find a class. It's all included. Yeah. In previous podcasts, I've talked about how I've taken a couple of their writing classes. The one I've found most helpful is the Writer's Toolkit, Six Successful Steps to a Successful Writing Habit by Simon Von Bowie. I recommend that one for those of you who just can't get yourself to sit down and write. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for listeners of this podcast, two free months. So Skillshare is offering Show Me the Meaning listeners two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. So to sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. Again, Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack to start your two free months now. Again, Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. And now back to the show. All right, guys. So I do eventually want to get to talking about the controversy, but first let's talk about what this movie is trying to say. Um, this is kind of a bit of a spoiler for the video that we're releasing tomorrow, our mm -hmm. quick take mm -hmm. on it, but uh, just you for live the sake, streamers get to get it early. Yeah, for the sake of being <laughs> thorough, uh, let's talk about recognition, specifically the politics of recognition. So Arthur and his mother are seeking recognition or affection, love, the state of being recognized as a human being. Now, this is all over the film. Uh, recognition also has a rich philosophical and political history. We've covered philosophy of recognition in a couple of videos. Most recently, we did one on Rage that talks about it a little bit. We did one years ago on Destiny 2. It's all about Hegel and recognition. But just to break down some of the things in this movie. So Arthur seeks recognition from Murray, who he fantasizes as embracing him like a father. Arthur seeks recognition from comedy audiences. His mother seeks recognition and financial help from Thomas Wayne. Arthur uh, seeks fatherly recognition from Thomas Wayne. His counselor tells him people don't care about me or you. He doesn't feel like she's seen or heard him. The masses are seeking recognition that they are human beings and not dehumanized clowns. Uh, there are also some subtle parts that uh, point to this. Uh, these are kind of my favorites. So when... Arthur is visiting his mom at the hospital, and he's outside being interrogated by the police. He struggles to be acknowledged by the automatic sliding glass mm -hmm. door. Mm -hmm. That's clever. Yeah, marked exit. I thought he was going to be just truly invisible. I was like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> and then yeah. like, that's an exit, buddy. Yeah. Uh, more subtle, another subtle one, the bankers on the train are initially incensed because the woman on the train they're harassing won't recognize them. Mm -hmm. They say something along the lines I'm of, here, like, hello. I'm here, hello, why won't you yeah. see me? Uh Arthur is less concerned with the political movement that spawned from his actions than by just being seen. When he goes on to the Murray Franklin show, he says, I don't believe in anything. I don't care about this movement. And we see that he also tells Murray that he doesn't see him, or that Murray doesn't see him or anyone less fortunate than him. Arthur then basks in the recognition at the end during the riot. And uh, there's also an interesting part that Modern Times is the movie that all the rich Gothamites are watching, which is a movie that criticizes the uh, working conditions in factories. And yet the rich are laughing it away mm -hmm. as if they're not recognizing the point. The message of the movie seems to be if the less fortunate are not recognized, they will resort to the loudest, most violent means necessary. So what are your guys' reaction to that as the general backbone of this movie? I mean, I think it's the most generous possible conceptual interpretation of this movie. Okay. Um, I think it, it makes sense. Like, it's a smart read. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to say that saying that it's like not a good read. I think it actually it adds up and it's in the text a lot of ways. I just think that like the movie doesn't really have a coherent ideology or message really in a lot of ways beyond the idea that like people want to be seen and heard, which I don't think is nothing, and I do think that that is very present, but it doesn't make an argument about that question. Do you know what I mean? Um, it just, well, it just says that it's there. Um, I mean, or if it's the reading of the obvious self-evident one that's born out through history over decades. I don't think it has necessarily a political platform, but I think that it is just saying that things are bad. People are being dehumanized and they're not even recognized as human beings. And when that happens, horrible things can occur. Right. To which I say, like, why is this news? <laughs> right. Like that's been true for ever. 
Yeah, I mean, but, but there are plenty of movies that have themes that are not necessarily novel and things that are unique to today. I mean, I mean, the Marvel movies are about fathers and sons. Oh, right, right. That's I mean, it's something not that's been a theme that a throughout. Be hurt yeah. into the status quo, but like, like Jacob, like sort of what Jacob was getting at when he was giving the description, right? Like that there's this idea that this movie is like present and timely. And this could happen eight weeks from now. It's also going to happen eight weeks ago, right? Like. There's nothing unique to this moment that makes this a thing that people need to hear about. Um, and so I think a lot of the like degree to which we're again, I think it's a really good coherent read of the movie, but I just think the movie falls flat in this kind of way of like, there's no, it doesn't do anything interesting with that idea. It just states it. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't get my juices flowing ideologically or like intellectually because like it's just saying a thing that's true. Well, it's hard to do that when y you're, main character is an antagonist somebody that you don't want to redeem in the eyes of the ma of the, the audience who knows of the joker as somebody who kills mercilessly and who is not a role model so i don't really well so if they had done went, the movie the way you were talking about where you get rid of some of those cello scenes i think they could have done a really good job of tying and then separating the joker from the socio-political context which would have made this much more interesting to me right Right, that, like we could be sympathetic to the masses without being sympathetic to the Joker. Bingo, bango. And I just think yeah. that would have been like a much cooler movie, right? This idea that recognition is a politics. He doesn't care about the revolution, right? I mean, no, he's just, they he's do the try to separate them. I mean, we can say that his acts inspired this populist movement and we can still... And, you know, I, I like the fact that Thomas Wayne is characterized as a jerk because that was always one of my criticisms of Taxi Driver, which is a big influence on this movie, is that the politician in that movie isn't really a jerk. There's really nothing that he does that makes you seem like, oh, yeah, he's obviously corrupt. He's obviously in the pocket of somebody else. He deserves to die at the hands of Travis Bickle. That never happens. At least in this movie, they have a clearer antagonistic force. Right, but I just think that, like, like, like man was getting at, like, you can have it be empathetic to the the mob and not to the Joker in a way that, like, draws a distinction in types of recognition and types of desire for recognition, right? Like, gamers rise up people on on Twitter or whatever don't maybe have the same claim to, like, oppression and political viability as, like, you know, uh, oppressed minorities or, like, uh, like, oppressed laborers, right? Like, there are gradients mm -hmm. of these kind of things and types of desires for recognition. And I think that the movie kind of flattens all that out into one thing. Even though the Joker doesn't care the revolution people do... The distinction between those two urges for recognition isn't really drawn out in any meaningful way. Um, I think there's a really cool argument to be made there that the movie like kind of gets towards, but I don't think it really lands on anything that to me is particularly like, whoa. You got to make sure that you're also not being too preachy, though. And I think that if the Joker really did have a particular political project and led the masses to a very specific political action that would better everyone's situation, I think it would be... Probably a little bit too much for oh, well, what is what still essentially about. About a comic separating book them movie. Even further. Mm. They flatten their idea that everyone needs recognition to this one thing that is the same between the Joker and these people. But the Joker's version of that and these people's version of that are very, very different. Mm -hmm. I agree with Lux, and I also feel like they flatten out the like huge role that like masculinity plays in violence because there are a lot of oppressed women in this movie and they're not like shooting people down. And I feel like that's just kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, this movie takes a big bite out of a big complicated pie and then kind of like spits it out after like two chews and is like, I ate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think ideology, ideologically, yeah, it kind of fails. Because I didn't feel it very, very pressed. Like I didn't, I think Amanda and I both walked out of that saying we didn't think a lot during this movie. We were really just feeling it as a mood. Yeah, for sure. And as in terms of that that ability for it to sort of haunt you. I mean, and again, I, I understand what you're what you're getting at, Lux, but I just don't think that it, that it's not sort of a particularly unique or fresh or new take. But it's just sort of reflecting on the theme of of everyone wanting to be recognized and and they're accidentally finding a new uh, role model or symbol or leader in this in this revolution. Um, that's not necessarily new, but it's but it it's haunting to see that just reflected. You feel disenfranchised. You find somebody who's an exciting outlet for that. That that is a haunting thing to to see unfold, especially as we're so intimate with the Joker throughout the movie. To know what his real source is, is the fact that he's not masterminding, that he's not particularly smart. He's not like really. Uh, we've talked about this. He's not really planning out what, what what's going to happen or unfold. 
and yet he becomes a, a very, very important symbol. And that part feels scary. So I didn't, it was more the emotion that we walked out of that thing feeling haunted by mm -hmm. how that could happen. And, and, and it, and it tapped into this universal long human need for revolution and need for, you know, for, for breaking through the, the oppression that these characters feel, including the masses. So that was the piece that ultimately was like the most haunting to me without it, without even getting too intellectual about the, 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 the plot or about what it was doing or not doing right, but more as just a film, as something to reflect on, it felt like, wow, it really took us there emotionally. I guess maybe I'm yeah. just like, and this is totally a possibility, maybe I'm just like too internet irony poisoned to like <laughs> to like have that. Like that all seems, again, like that just seems like what you see if you look at the news. Um, yeah. That and same I process. That, I guess I put that whole voice, I put that everything on suspension. I just suspended all of that, so that those voices of of criticism in order just to sort of let it wash over me and then reflect on that. Oh, and I don't mean criticism stuck. towards yeah. the joke or anything. I just mean that like we see people grabbing random weird idiot symbols all the time and gravitating towards mm -hmm. them in need of recognition. So just the fact that the Joker did it as most like real guys. Yeah. I, just, I haven't seen it dramatized in a while. You know, usually you see a, a character who's a symbol of revolution uh, being, being the, the empathetic character, being the character that you're rooting for, you know, a Che Guevara type or somebody who's going to fight this revolution for you. And they have, they have an ethos and they seem to really be uh, driving toward a revolution that's going to help people or at least be their representative. And here you're seeing how that can go wrong in a dramatic version. And that was, that was what was scary. Yeah. I guess to the flip to that is also that like, I'm big into the two Scorsese movies. This movie is ripping off pretty clearly, mm -hmm. which both just make that argument in like way cooler ways, I think. Yeah, That's so and so maybe I'm just like, well, it's no King of Comedy or Taxi Driver, so meh. I'm really <laughs> interested. I'm surprised to hear you say that you like Taxi Driver because I've seen Taxi Driver three times now. The first time I saw it, I liked it, and then the second two times, I liked it less and less. And and now I, other than the fact that it's a great performance and that it's shot well, I don't see the appeal of that movie. Well, for me, Taxi Driver does exactly what Jacob's describing the Joker doing. Hmm. Does he become a symbol? He doesn't become a symbol in that way, but the way it traps you into a mentality. No, yeah. No, I he think that's psychologically. He becomes a little bit, like, I mean, well, at least he's a, he's maybe arguably imagining himself as, like, yeah, this, yeah. a symbolic, like... Yeah. A hero or... Hero. Aura. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I feel like it more is iconic because of the time it was released in. Like, I think people just weren't that used to compelling antiheroes. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, super new in that way. I don't know if it would stand out as much if it was released now. But Travis Bickle is more about, I'm going to clean up the streets. It's not about how the people who are pushed on the streets are victims. It's the fact that these people are yeah. trash and they need to be eradicated. Like and then if, if he arguably imagines himself as this hero who took it upon himself, this vigilante, to clean up the streets, mm -hmm. it's still different than Joker, who would, who would which argues that these people are living in squalor and because they've been put there by the rich or the fortunate that won't even recognize them as human. Uh, but let's talk more about these illusions because there's a lot of illusions to a lot of films that all came out between roughly like 1974 and 1982 or something like that. So let's talk about Taxi Driver. So off the top, obviously mental illness, both tax, both uh, uh, Arthur Fleck and uh, Travis Bickle are mentally ill. There's the whole thing about the city that they inhabit being a shithole. They're both seeking recognition by a woman that they love. There's a fixation on a politician, and I already talked about this, how Thomas Wayne is a little bit more of a dick in this one than the politician in Taxi Driver. Um, and then there's the thing where the last thing that we see Travis Bickle do after he kills the whole room of the whole prostitution ring or whatever, he puts the finger guns to his head and goes... Poof, yeah, and we mm -hmm. see which that. is we see that a whole mm -hmm. bunch of times. It's the first thing Sophie does mm -hmm. when they're in the elevator together. And I never really attributed any meaning to that gesture. And I, I think in this movie, it's more of like, a, you know, a sense of, hey, identify with me. I'm going through hell living in this city, living a life in poverty. You know, fuck it. Like, yeah. Whereas with Travis Bickle, I still don't know what it meant in Taxi Driver. It was a good shot. It was a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like I took it as like his hatred was ultimately for himself. Mm. Like he killed all these people, but ultimately, like what he was really trying to kill was the part of himself that he hated. Was it the part of himself that wanted the young prostitute? Maybe I didn't think. Of, yeah, hmm. I buy that. Interesting. 
but more more to the score, like even in Taxi Driver, we hear more jazzy tunes as he goes through New mm-hmm. York in this sleepless yeah. days. It's such a mood. Which, yeah, which worked on me the first time, and I just. But I hated that say. movie. I really yeah. don't like that movie. Neither do I. I, I, it's just not a likable character. It's so gritty. It's, but it's probably in a similar way that it's just like it's an emotion, and I don't know if it's ne- it's not probably produced to be liked, kind of like a Lars von Trier movie. Yeah, it might be yeah. produced to be despised, or Which, like Antichrist. Yeah, like well, Lars I love von Trier. Antichrist. Antichrist. I love Me Antichrist. Too. <laughs> well, so do I. Oh my god. <laughs> but I hate Melancholia. As an example, it's like a movie that that fucks with you so bad that you just don't even want to watch it. Like you can't. You just hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to add about Taxi Driver before we move on? Uh, yeah, just that I think the comparison with Taxi Driver, and we get at this in the video, is that like it's a story about recognition, and it's like Jacob said, it's about it's this a filmic experience of being like lulled into a psychology, right? Yeah, and that's like what seems to be the, like the impressive part of the Joker for in both the accountings Amanda and, and Jacob are giving, and like for me, that's what Taxi Driver does. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, ta- and that's right. I feel like you. You might almost feel like you want to wash yourself of having watched Taxi Driver because it just feels so gross. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the whole of the, the jazz and the grittiness of the film stock and the character and what he's doing is all just disgusting. You know what? Maybe it's because of Von Trier that I'm now desensitized that Scorsese, yeah. 70s Scorsese yeah. doesn't do it for me <laughs> yeah. anymore. Maybe Von Trier. I need something much harder. Way need, more effective. Yeah, 2010s Von Trier. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, like I, th- I, the other piece that I found was very fun was that because you're so intimate with Taxi Driver and you're so intimate with the Joker, we just hadn't spent this much time with him before. So for someone like me and Amanda who are not huge comic book people, yeah. we're not that affected or that uh, influenced by the Joker over our whole lifetimes. Yeah, like just to spend that much time with him was some was just interesting. And and but you go down that same rabbit hole like Taxi Driver, you're like, oh my god, I really know this person, and the more I know them, the more I'm scared. Yeah. Of what they might yeah. unleash, you know, who they are. I don't know. It's sort of that distance that we have, I think, is actually healthy and probably a big part of why we're we so it. into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, it kind of goads you into it really does goad you completely into sympathizing with him, especially like earlier on, like when the when the when the bankers start beating him up on the subway, you're like, fuck these guys. And yeah, that's true. Like it dares you to be like. I didn't Man, think about these, that. these assholes deserve to die. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't go there that far. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I mean, no but I, I agree with what Amanda's saying. Yeah. I do think that the movie does dare us to identify more with Arthur Fleck than Taxi Driver That's ever true. really does with Travis mm-hmm. Bickle. Yeah, because I never cared at all about him, about Travis Pickle. Pickle. Pickle? Pickle. Pickle. Yeah. But I want to transition to the next movie that this draws from, which is a movie that I love, which is The King of Comedy. Hey, oh. That's a better movie than Taxi Driver for sure. I I think so, too. So some obvious ones. So Robert De Niro plays the talk show host in this movie, obviously an allusion to the character Rupert Pupkin that he plays in The King of Comedy, who is the Arthur Fleck character. But he is obsessed with uh, a comedian that is played by Jerry Lewis in The King of Comedy. And another similarity with this and Taxi Driver is the actress who plays Sophie in Joker, who's uh, Zazie Bates or something like that. Looks this, she looks very similar to the love interest in King of Comedy, who's played by Diane Abbott. And she's actually also in a scene early in Taxi Driver as a woman that Travis tries to hit on. Hmm. Uh, there's also the whole theme of recognition that Rupert is seeking recognition from Jerry Lewis's character as well as the comedy loving audience at large. Uh, he does end up getting on his favorite talk show. In the case of the King of Comedy, it's because he blackmails his way on there. The thing I like about The King of Comedy that I don't like about Taxi Driver is that The King of Comedy is kind of an endearing film. We like Rupert Pupkin because he believes in his dream with such ferocity. And you can also walk away from the film with the message that, okay, this movie is kind of about the kind of craziness it takes to make it in the entertainment industry. Whereas in Taxi Driver, I guess it's really just about a mood. But I think you get the best of both worlds with King of Comedy. Yeah, okay. I always think of like falling down too. You ever seen that movie with Michael Douglas? I think. Yeah. Falling down, so it's like a day, like a, like a really bad day, and a descent into becoming a serial killer. Effectively, uh, reminds me a lot of a better, uh, to me, a better version, a more relatable version than, of Taxi Driver. Yeah. But yeah, aside from that, aside from what it is, like you're just watching and observing as a witness the descent. Aside from that, there's not much more going yeah. on. Yeah. I agree that King of Comedy is much more compelling because the protagonist actually like has a tangible goal. Whereas the Joker does, I mean, he wants recognition, but beyond that, it's not for any like greater purpose. Like, Pumpkin like wants 
pumpkin. <laughs> I always get his <laughs> name wrong. I, I, I think of it as pumpkin in my head. Blumpkin. Um, <laughs> like wants, you know, to share his art with the world or whatever. Yeah. I also just think tonally it hit the nail on the head because we it's all comedy it's all laughs mm-hmm. there's no there's no cello the cello really is what killed me is the no, only is, is that. the thing that kills this movie Jer- for me <laughs> i said jared this movie really freaked me out so i dropped jared off comes back and he's like it didn't really affect me and too much cello <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean our, true, jared and our messaging on our on our work client he was like too much he was like oh and the cello to which i responded all caps so much cello and then a long conversation <laughs> it's, it's totally that's part of why i find this movie and we can get like let me know when you want me to talk about this but that's part of why i find the movie so fucking parodic like the cello is a fucking joke mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't i mean i don't think that it's meant to be a joke, yeah. but it, no, I, at least I to me, it reads I like one. Like so much that. of the movie is so heavy handed, the type of thing it wants to be. Do you know what I mean? Like the movie's like a two hour. We live in a society meme. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're giving it too much credit. I do wonder if it could have benefited from treating itself a little more like a comedy because that would reinforce the way the Joker keeps saying like my life is a comedy. I like, Yeah. That was always my thing with the trailer, is that in the trailer it said, oh, I always thought of my life as a tragedy, but it's a comedy. And I was looking at this trailer, which took itself very seriously, and I was like, well, it seems like a tragedy. Yeah. And I would prefer it be a comedy. Yeah, maybe that's part of why I'm reading it this way, is because it's all I fucking wanted was for this to be a goddamn comedy. But, like, (laughs) if if there were, like, more comedic elements to this movie that felt more intentional or, like, less dry, depending on how you want to read it, like, then I think a lot of the stuff I was talking about before about distinguishing recognitions would kind of resolve itself, right? Because you'd have these people in the streets, like, taking this shit very seriously, and then our perspective as Flex perspective as, like, it's all a big goof would have drawn, like, a really hard-line distinction between the two ideas of recognition, right? And I think that would have made both the drama of the movie and the ideology of the movie a lot clearer and more interesting. And also it would have been more fun to watch because it would be fun goofs. And that's another thing that his mental illness, the nature of his mental illness, kind of adds to is the fact that whenever he's laughing, it's not necessarily because he thinks anything is funny. Whereas if he was laughing because things are funny, then we would be able to draw that distinction more because then we know he's not taking things seriously, but it's just a compulsion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way they handle his mental illness, I think, fucks up so much about this movie for me. But it added, so to me, it added a, a creepy factor of this disorienting factor, right? Like our natural inclination anytime we hear laughter is to sort of feel like it's okay and constantly we're being rubbed up against. We can see that he's struggling and crying and yeah. choking and yeah. And hearing ter- laughter, it's just like your mind is like, what? It's like scrambling. What's and, happening? Yeah, in yeah. terms of putting you in his mind state, when he's on that stage doing stand-up and he's struggling not to laugh, you really feel for him. Yeah. Oh, it's and cringe you the feel century. the anxiety that chills. he feels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the per- like that's again where like the performance is so unmistakable that yeah. it makes it hard to judge the movie objectively at, t- at times. Yeah. We got Definitely. some good uh, comments. Everyone's 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Some good ratings here. Some people saying... You know, don't 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 criticize the cello and other people saying that we should write a movie. So that does sound fun. Does. Yeah, we'll write our version of this. Yeah. Um, I mean, hey, there are some days I like this movie a lot. Uh, so let's talk about Network. Uh, one of oh, the best yeah. movies ever yeah, made. My, the uh, best movie. Yeah. Yeah. So the shot at all the TVs uh, at the end after one of the two best movies. Uh, those are both great ones. Yeah. So the shot of all the TVs at the end after Murray is killed is lifted from Network. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's mostly surface level. I think that the big thing that is taken from Network is that Arthur's speech on the Murray show is akin Mm -hmm. to Howard Beale's I'm Mad as Hell speech. Basically saying that you've got to assert that you're a human being, Mm -hmm. goddammit. It's the same exact sentiment. We're talking about that on the car ride home. It's the same sentiment. The screens was so good. Yeah. So, so, so good. I don't know if there's much more than that, but that was like, it's the spectacle and immediately that, I think it was like the immediacy and the speed too, with which his fame sort of propagated, right? As mm-hmm. me, as soon as that happened because of the media, because of that news cycle, he became an instant hero. And you that know, was the acceleration that was, that was also that, scary. And that happens yeah. in both Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost wonder if we should take him at his word when he says that he doesn't believe in anything because when he's on the stage he kind of seems like he does right like he kind of says a mission statement he definitely but i don't think that i don't even know if he's aware of the social movement i think that that's just what he's personally feeling yeah yeah and i mean the mission statement right honestly is internally incoherent within the plot of the movie in the sense that he's like the world's fucked up you ignore all these people it makes them all go crazy and angry 
But in his personal experience, that's literally not why he's crazy and angry, right? He's crazy and angry because of all the uh, child abuse. Spoilers. But, like, the movie says, like, society makes people crazy and fucked up. This guy is a symptom of that. But also is like, actually, it's not. He's not one of those. He actually has a a specific causal relationship. And obviously, there's a societal relationship between, like, child abuse and domestic abuse and all that. And there's a whole system of networks of power that create that context. But within the context of, like, the movie and how the movie's framing stuff, those two things are pretty unrelated. And so it's a weird choice to me to make it as though, like, hey, it's me, the jokester. Um, everyone's crazy because society's crazy, except me. I'm crazy because I got hit in the head a bunch of times. I do feel like the best argument for this movie as a comedy is when he says people need to be more civil and like five seconds later shoots the guy in the head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that, that, I mean, that can't possibly be taking itself seriously, right? That's the, I need, I need to see that. I need to see the scene again. Yeah. Yeah. That's the I thing. Mean, that it's sense. like, it's hard yeah. to tell. I would love to watch this movie again and get Lux's reading that it's all deliberately kind of a farce and that it is yeah. more of a comedy. I would love it if I was m- totally missing that. Well, just think of that. Like, there's those scenes me, where, like, he, like, when he climbs in the fridge or, like, breaking up the most visceral violence scene in the movie with a midget joke. The thing is, none of the movies that this was inspired by are comedies. I mean, maybe The King of Comedy is, but Taxi Driver isn't. Network, I guess, kind of is. Network's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but Mean Streets isn't. Ain't no hangover. Yeah, <laughs> but even if this word like a drama that uses dry comedy to like make a satirical point, I think that that's a fair. No, we've seen, and we love those kinds of comedies, but it's, yeah, I don't know if I could. Yeah, I maybe it wouldn't be too crazy for Todd Phillips to go there, but I just didn't. I just didn't feel it that way at yeah, all. Yeah, no, definitely maybe in it's the theater. tone though. Like, I mean, if you've got a theater full of people laughing, like it probably just takes one laugh to be like, oh shit, maybe I'm getting the tone all wrong. Yeah, in our theater, everyone was like, oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, in my, in, theater. In, in my theater, someone was just checking their phone all the time. I even feel like if I had gotten out of the theater and Jacob had been like, that was dumb, I wouldn't have been as like shaken up. It was that we were on the exact same <laughs> level. So it really does show that like who you go to the theater you know, with matters. It changes no, it makes the experience a huge totally, difference. completely. But yeah, because I, I think we were both just spooked and, and everyone coming out of the theater seemingly was like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> or at least we were, I mean, we yeah. were really shaken. But it was all that cello. You said something earlier that I wanted to come back to. Something that was funny. Uh, what was it? Talking to me or Lux? Yeah, to you. You said something earlier that you wanted a kind of a reading on this film that was a little. I'll, I'll come back to it. I can't remember. Okay. Well, next thing I want to go to is just the what's real and what's not real. So obviously, the part with Sophie is not real. It's interesting that in both King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, the end is questionable, and both reflect on the sensationalism of the media, which we talked about before. Um, there are some other things in in the movie that I was curious if you guys thought could also be questioned. So is the whole scene with him on the Murray show faked? Because it seems odd to me that Arthur admits that he murdered the three bankers and that Murray believes him pretty quickly. I didn't feel fake to me. Yeah, it'd be hard for that to um, read as fake given what happens in the rest of the movie. Unless all yeah, of that's fake. I mean, and then I actually kind of thought that might be what happened is that the end is the cut to he's been in Arkham the whole time just being a crazy guy. Right. Um, I wasn't sure about the Arkham scene. Like the Arkham yeah. scene we were talking about, like, what is is was he there before? There's a scene where he kind of like bangs his head against the glass and we're like, remember earlier in the film, it's like yeah. a flashback. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is that now or is this before? Yeah. Uh, I think we were saying, like, you, you mentioned Amanda, like once he sort of dons the makeup, it's sort of like that's who he is now forever. In a way, and like he's in a place where he's just sort of in the asylum and he's just a normal guy again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kind of hated that. I kind of didn't want to cast doubt on what we had just seen. Oh, right. Well, I was like, maybe the whole movie was like in his head. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what the ending says to me, except that that feels so silly given everything else about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I've heard people cast doubt on the fact that the whole revolution at the end might have been fake. Yeah. But what about the photo that he looks at? He has a photo of his mom when she was young and on the back it says you have beautiful eyes from thomas wayne so are we meant to believe that she put that there or that someone wrote that and forged his handwriting is it not actually his handwriting i mean because i think that we can all agree that somebody who's really really rich and powerful can have somebody committed to an insane asylum if they don't want some kind of story getting out about a bastard child Mm -hmm. so did you guys think that there's still some ambiguity i thought there definitely was a little bit because i thought like it just it just seemed a little so it seemed so suspicious right that she had such a clear story for him he seemed 
uh, he seems so prepared with his story about like this kid being definitely not his child, and and then that's that moment again. But a lot of it was like this unreliable narrator. Like, what are we seeing here? Right. Like, who? What picture is that? I mean, is that really his handwriting? It was pretty. It was beautiful handwriting. So I thought, mm-hmm. like, is that really Thomas Wayne's handwriting? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't sure if she, you know, she could have done that as her own little fantasy. Yeah, that's what I but thought. But then he, he was he adopted after all. He the. But I don't know. I mean, I guess if we just assume that the rich and powerful can do almost anything, we can say that they can also say forge was, those documents that say that he was adopted. Right, right. Like between his right. delusions and the degree of power Thomas Wayne wields, it's like any of that shit could be fake. I have one more thing that might have been fake or not that I want to get y'all's opinions about. It. That's cool. Oh, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. There's just some wild set deck. And in particular, the headlines on the newspapers are really absurd. I don't know if y'all were reading them. Mm-mm. But they're all sort of like killer clown madness sweeps Gotham or like clowns going wild <laughs> and things like that that I were like that kind of silly and weird to me. And I was wondering if that's part of I mean, to me, that was part of the whole it's a big joke, but also like maybe that's part of the whole delusion, right? That he's like creating this mm-hmm. narrative around himself and making it the news in his own mind. Hmm. Does that make sense? Well, it. Interestingly, the news clippings at the end of Taxi Driver are likely fake. Yeah. I think that it's more than likely that they're fake. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could also just be that Gotham is a shithole and the media is super sensationalized. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, the other thing that felt fake to me, but probably was just like a weird piece of set decoration was, I don't know if you all caught this, but during the riots, one person appears to be waving around a chair from Pier 1 Imports. <laughs> <laughs> like one of those nope, like stitched like, like thatched chairs. Definitely missed that. <laughs> do you think like the whole movie has a, is a commentary on like the line between comedy and drama or comedy and tragedy because he's the laughing is sort of on that brink and on that line he's a comedy director and he's directing a very that would be a master stroke mm-hmm. if that was what he meant to do i want to have a movie where half the theater is it's wants hilarious. to cry and half of the theater is laughing. Like, it really could be. It, and maybe this is just like the way that I watch movies, which is so hyper attentive to like technical detail, unless the script like really mm-hmm. sweeps me off my feet, which this movie did not. I just feel like I like I direct film and shoot things all the time. So like that's how I think about movies when I'm watching them. And so watching it that way, there was just so many like little goofs and weird things about the design, the decoration, the cinematography, which again, the cinematography was excellent. Gorgeous. And if there's one thing every other superhero movie except for Thor Ragnarok can take from this movie, it's that you're allowed to use fucking colors in your movie. Mm -hmm. Because this movie used colors to excellent effect throughout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so I watch movies that way and that's the things in my head. And like looking at it that way, there was just so much weirdness and like the disjunct between how colors and cinematography match the action or like weird things in the background and all this stuff. And that's maybe part of why I think this movie is like a goof em up because there was all this weird stuff happening like right behind the thing. Like, kind of Kansas City Shuffle style, like you're looking over here, but all the weird shit's happening over here. But that, that's the, the, the balancing act, again, of comedy and tragedy, even like the gun, the gun, like the, the faux gun shooting thing. I mean, she's using it as a complete joke. He's he's not thinking of it that way at all. And when he does the same symbol, it becomes terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> or even the jokes, interpretation. even the jokes that he tells on the Murray Franklin show, he says, knock, knock, who's there? It's your son who's been killed the drunk driving accident. Right. <laughs> Yeah, classic uh, dead baby yeah. style yeah, yeah. His jokes. Are... Some fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so what? This is the part that I wanted to get back to. Uh, was you said that anyone who's a big Joker fan would look at this and say this is a joke? Or I what said do you that mean the Joker. Well, because in the Killing Joke, which is pretty essential yeah. Joker lore, he tells this whole backstory and then basically says, "Ha ha, that was all yeah. a joke." And it was similarly a very kind of. It was a sad story, yeah. mm-hmm. and but if you have any ground, you just shatter and then, it. And yeah, and then we see something similar with Rick and Rick and Morty, and that he gives you mm-hmm. some sort of like Sappy sad story. backstory and then rips it out from you, and that's what these kind of nihilist characters like to do, right? And so I felt like this is just another one of those stories that mm-hmm. the Joker would try to bait you with, and then rip it out from you and laugh, right? Like right, every right, right, right. major modern version of the Joker is so the opposite of this. Like, you've got the Morrison Joker, who's, like, uh, the only hyper-sane person in a world gone mad. Uh, you've got the Scott Snyder Joker, who's, like, this timeless, weird uh, proto-being or, like, weirdo who messes with history all the time. Like, they're all way more ambiguous in the idea of time and, and like, their position within, like, the world than this guy is. So this is, like, a radical departure from all of that. And so even though I'm not, like, a confess—I'll confess, not a big fan of the Joker character generally— Especially the modern ones. I actually kind of like the Joker, who's just like a guy who fell in the vat of acid, and now he's weird. (laughs) 
like I don't love the modern Jokers, but that it, Jared's totally right that this is so from the idea of like what comics teach us the Jokers about. This is like another story to be shred up and torn up. Yeah, yeah this is just a joke. It's like yeah, I don't think you put it better than Jared's. Like this in that context, this is a joke. Mm-hmm. Does he make himself that pathetic in any of his origin stories that he does choose to tell? Yeah, in The Killing Joke, he's similarly so beaten down by life. His girlfriend dies. He is a horrible stand-up comedian. He finds out that his girlfriend dies while she was pregnant. Everything just goes to shit, and he just snaps and goes mad. Mm-hmm. It's like one, yeah. But then he's like, haha, that was a joke. Uh, All right, so the controversy. So if the movie is saying that the only way to be recognized as human beings by the rich and powerful is by violence— is that a problem? I mean, it's honestly, I've been thinking about that a lot since I saw it. And just the question of like, whether art needs to be moral and whether it's literally bad for the world that this movie exists and is going to be seen by everyone in the country. Um, and I'm, I'm super conflicted. Like, I really don't know. I mean, I feel I'm super against like censorship of any kind. And like, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think philosophically speaking, you kind of have to gradiate these things, right? And you also have to gradiate what constitutes violence, um, mm-hmm. right? Like a big, loud, angry protest at a factory that isn't paying its workers probably is a good thing. Mm-hmm. A big, loud, sure. angry neo-Nazi march down the street from my house, not as cool. <laughs> and so, like, you there, there's a gradation here, right? And there's also other forms of violence, right? Like, there's... Actual, like, riots in the streets, violence, a la things that happened in Hong Kong, which probably we'd all say is relatively justified. Sorry, China. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't. Uh, don't ban yeah, us. Yeah, please let us have our podcast. <laughs> We're already um, banned. YouTube is banned. But uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, there's that. There's, uh, like, there's just these gradations of these kind of things, right? That's part of my issue with the this broad sweeping idea about recognition and violence is that in many cases, historically, this kind of action has been very, very good. And has had very, very good outcomes. It has also been very, very, very bad. Um, and so I think the way people are talking about it as though this is one one thing with one shape and we can talk about it in one way is kind of crazy. Um, because it's like, you know, we say in the video, like, this is the sort of political framework that led to, like, women getting to vote and, like, black people getting to go to the same schools as white kids and, like, the minimum mm-hmm. wage and, like, weekends. For sure. Like, they all came from the same impulse. You're saying that the same action of revolution, yeah, yeah, can can lead in two directions or whatever, or yeah, any number, it, of an infinite number of directions. And so I think it's yeah. weird to say, right, that this idea, this movie is telling us a bad thing that, like, when everyone gets mad and starts acting mad, we have a huge problem on our hands. It's like, well, mm. not always. A lot of times, that, that makes the, the world part a better. That was place. chilling. That was one of the pieces that was chilling to me was to see. Um, to see that, to see the the same action that leads to positive revolution, the same um, idea of assembly and and um, and and revolution, which can lead in a good in a good place, seeing it kind of misconstrued and seeing that same um, that same mentality and that same kind of everyone rah rah against uh, uh, for the same cause and coming together and. But being blind to the reality of who they're pre- who they're praising—that was the—and and what those repercussions could be—that was the part that, again, felt very prescient and very scary. Yeah, I uh, mean, that was the source of that horror, which was like, oh, well, I'm I'm observing how that got how that can go. I mean, again, and and it, this is not, uh, you know, this is not like a a, a neo-Nazi rally. This is not. This is, but the the incentive is coming from a place of hey, revolution because we feel disenfranchised because we want to be recognized, and yet. Uh, yet it's a, yeah, it's a scary outcome. It can be a very super scary outcome. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a big thing that's definitely true. And like you see it, I mean, in, in American uh, act, like leftist activism all the time, like people picking bad role models for their frameworks, right? Like you get, even with the people I work with, like you get like Maoists and Stalinists who like do want to like use riots as a violent tool to like just hurt people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like that's not cool or politically productive at all. And that, but that is a real problem that does exist that like you have to deal with if you're going to be like doing political activism. And I think that's one thing. And I think you're right. Jacob, that's one thing with the movie that did resonate to me beyond my like general frustration with it was that like at least understands that like when you pick if you structure your argument, if you structure your, your political rally like an arrow and the tip that you pick is someone gross and bad, the rest has to follow. That's how arrows work. Absurd is kind of like Life of Brian or something like, you know. 
everyone's following Brian, like he's the Messiah and so I'm not the Messiah. And like only the true Messiah denies his identity. And it's sort of like this ridiculous idea of following yeah. that, that becomes haunting. Mm-hmm. I know we, we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. Ryan, uh, Ryan and I are usually on one side and sometimes Austin's on the other side, but well, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I mean, Ryan has often said that, you know, you don't censor art no matter, you know, it's not art's job to teach morality. And I largely agree with him. However, I also think that we're all faced with a reality today to where we all know that it does. Mm-hmm. Like it ought not teach morality, but it does. Yeah, sort of like sure. a, like a moral dilemma of like smoking yeah. or whatever. Smoking. And, I, and, I, and I think that we should be able to recognize that even though it shouldn't teach morality and then it does, we should still be able to say, even though it does, we should do nothing. And I think that for me, something I think about a lot is our societies, we as a society need to learn how to grapple with the fact that we can recognize a problem and still decide to do nothing about it. So, for example, the example I always point to is there was a study that I heard about a long time ago about how bumper stickers create more road rage. This is a this is a problem we should do nothing about. You, you know, it, you're it, not going to ban a bumper sticker or whatever, or any or bumper stickers in general, even because we can identify the fact that bumper stickers create road rage and road rage is a problem. We should be able to. Look at the problem, understand it, and be able to sit with it and understand that there are some problems that you just can't fix I and that you ought to not fix. What's happening with mobile devices, you know, like kids growing up with iPads, yeah. is that it's sort of like that's a path. You can implement a little technology to, to monitor that time that you're spending, but we're also in a, in a way saying, I guess, if the option is either ban technology or this is the consequence, it's like we're it, saying we're going to move Watch forward. Demolition Man. Has anyone seen Demolition Man? Oh, it's hell all yeah. about... It's all about this. It's all about how Sylvester Stallone wakes up in a society where everything that is a problem, everything that creates a bad outcome is banished. And it creates a society that cannot function when a terrorist comes around and it's all the police are ineffectual and the whole society crumbles. And ultimately the film comes, it's like a middle ground. Sylvester Stallone says, you know, you can't just whitewash everything away that's a problem but you also can't ignore all these things that's a problem and i think that it's a very wise film starring sylvester stallone i feel like i feel like like i don't know when i left the theater i was thinking there's no way this movie is can make the world less violent Hmm. you know like unless people all walk around saying oh wow i might i might band around and support Something that might have something else going on, or if somebody says, "I really need to stay on my meds," yeah, that would that would be a great message to take away from this movie. As a, sure. as a known meds taker, um, I'll second that. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, but I just I wonder, like, should movies that do somewhat condone violence, or at least make us sympathize heavily with people who perpetrate, like? completely like random acts of violence should they exist i don't know like i don't think they should be banned i'm more just like did nobody at any point in the making of this film wonder if it was going to make things more violent i think 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 they probably did did some sort of donation i think i was talking to my friend mike yesterday i think they did something to the effect of sure we will do i I can't remember exactly what it was but the the studio did something i mean yeah. clearly i mean cl- you can't watch this movie at the studio and say yeah this is a normal this is like another release this is just like paddington <laughs> yeah. bear or whatever like oh yeah. this movie clearly. wishes it was as good as paddington <laughs> <laughs> that movie's incredible uh but yeah there's like this responsibility and i don't i don't know exactly what they did with it but well yeah. i think a lot I of this comes right from that it's like yeah, it's violent a lot of this comes from like a broad scale social failure right in the sense that like like jared said like it shouldn't matter if movies teach us right from wrong because like there should be other things that do that. Right. right? Like we shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be like, uh Oh, someone's going to learn about ethics from the Joker. It's like, that wouldn't happen if like someone was teaching them this shit. But we don't, we don't have religion no more. Yeah. It's yeah. like broad social failing <laughs> that like, I mean, one big thing that like bothers me that I complain about all the fucking time is this idea that like every possible like, position and argument is always equidistant from the truth and that we're all just working towards a truth but starting as far away as each other which just isn't true right like some people are more right than others and there's more effective ethical frameworks than others and like these are the kind of things that like people should be forced to challenge and think about and reconcile with but they're not and so because they're not they just fill that vacuum with whatever they want and so that means that things like the joker or any other movie 
can fill that slot. So the danger that sort of Amanda's isolating exists only because like we're not doing a good job at like giving people other ways to learn this shit. Like as an example of Joker, like where is Joker going to learn? Where was he going to learn his morality? Where was he going to grab that from? Well, right. From his experience like, and background. I guess that's the... Exactly. That's, I, this is the cautionary tale, I, right? I think Lux would have argued that the social services didn't need to be cut. They needed to be amped up. Hell uh-huh. yeah. For Tax sure. Thomas Wayne, give the Joker more meds. She wasn't listening to him. <laughs> Uh, All right, let's go into the mailbag. So we've got a couple emails about the Joker. So this one is from Dan. By the way, you can hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co. So this is from Dan. Dan says, seeing as you're going to be covering Joker this week, I had a question about the controversy surrounding it. My question is regarding why you think this movie is the center of this discussion. There have been plenty of works throughout history that have focused on similar themes. For example, why was nobody making these comments when Breaking Bad was the biggest show on TV? That show was all about a guy who was driven to a life of despicable activity by a society that had wronged him. In that case, he was wronged by a medical system that pushes huge bills upon people who have no realistic way of paying them, similar to the way Arthur's therapy and drug prescription funding was cut. Why is Joker specifically getting all this attention when things like Breaking Bad and Taxi Driver exist, but no one talks about the possible negative consequences of those? So what do you guys think? Because a dude dressed up as the Joker and shot up a movie theater. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Joker and Aurora, yeah. Yeah. Also, the people dying in Breaking Bad were members of, like, you know, the underbelly of society that most people didn't necessarily relate to the way they might relate to the people who the Joker kills, I think. Right. Like, the movie asserts a causality that admittedly is way more relatable than Breaking Bad. Yeah, for sure. We're definitely not all... Well, and they're in theaters, don't forget. Like, we're talking about a, a sort of a public terrorist act right it's a different yeah. different story and that people are congregating in a way that everyone's watching at home on on an amc or something totally. or netflix and we're not all like we're not all fucking uh, chem teachers with cancer selling meth to save our family like but i think we can all agree that there are times where we felt like society's kind of let us down like mm-hmm. to, to go back to the meds thing the fact that to pay so much for mine fucking sucks and that shouldn't be the case and so that feels like a social failure and so like you can empathize with a lot of the ideas in the joker and so it's sort of easier to imagine a straight line kind of what Jacob was getting at earlier, a straight line from like, Hey, here's the problem of society. It's falling apart to, Hey, we're all angry. We're going to dress up as clowns and kill Thomas Wayne. The straight line's pretty clean there. And so it's way easier to imagine it's like terrifying outcome than it would be otherwise. For sure. Also the, the change on breaking bad was so gradual that it wasn't as shocking in this movie. It was deliberately really shocking when he became violent, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had a big snap. Although fucking the needle drop of fucking rock and roll part two by Gary Glitter was some truly insane there shit. There was great music. There were some weird little cues like yeah. that. Because the movie's a joke. Funny. <laughs> you know, I, like I said, I think this movie might just be a line about the if, line of comedy and, and tragedy. If, yeah. if I, I'm going to watch it again with that in mind. Mm-hmm. And if it resonates... I will love the shit out Jared, of this movie. I'll, I'll, I'll be like, to, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. I get to LA tomorrow night. I will go with you to see this movie. Hey, All right, we'll talk about it. All right, this next one is from Brad. Brad says, I wish I loved this movie more, but I can't help but feel it somehow lost its criticism of society failing to save Arthur. It's incredibly sad to watch Arthur's outlook on his already depressing life get crushed throughout the film, but I felt all that got swept aside in favor of tying this story into Batman's origin. As a Batman fan, it's hard to watch the recontextualization of Thomas Wayne into a Trumpian figure, but for this movie, it could have worked if Thomas Wayne was the one to cut funding for mental health services as it stands i just don't buy the poor pathetic arthur fleck as either a symbol of revolution or as the criminal mastermind who will one day terrorize gotham i thought he'd go through with his suicide plan and that would inspire someone else to one day pick up the mantle of the joker so i'd love to see a sequel where the caring and compassionate have their day but i don't think that would come from this batman what do you think would having a brutal capitalist for a father create a batman who kills aka batfleck or would the opposite happen, and instead of a fascist dark knight, we get a pacifist white knight? So the one thing I'll say about this is, um, this is from Brad. Yeah, I... Uh, first of all, I don't really think that we're supposed to believe that this is the Joker that Batman will one day grow up to fight. He would be too old, right? Mm-hmm. I always thought of this as this is the beginning of the Joker mythos, that one day some other insane person is going to look back to these riots and look back to the figure of the Joker that inspired so much chaos, and he's going to use that figure as as the inspiration for his persona. That's that, how well, I've always reigned it. for killing uh, Thomas Wayne that way, sort of as a as a... Avatar for a Joker with the with the, the masked 
Ryder. Well, it's only in the, I believe, only in the Tim Burton Batman that the Joker kills his parents. Usually it's just some guy. I think it's oh, some guy oh. named Chill, Joe Chill. Joe, it's he usually kills. Joe Chill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that idea, Jared, that like, this can't be the Joker Joker, but like that, the symbol of the Joker as attached to the death of Batman's parents, like becomes a very obvious symbol for whoever becomes the Batman antagonist to take up. Like, it's me, the ghost of the guy who killed your parents kind of tangentially. Ha ha. Um, seems like a viable symbolic jump. Yeah. All right, this next one's from Jake. He says, hi, everyone, my name is Jake, and the scene with Thomas Wayne on the television calling the poor of Gotham clowns really stuck out to me. I'm studying to be a history teacher, and Thomas Wayne seemed to embody the philosophy argued in Andrew Carnegie's book, The Gospel of Wealth. For those not familiar with the text, during the Gilded Age of the United States, the income equality gap was so massive with monopolists like Rockefeller and Carnegie controlling almost every aspect of life, such as oil, steel, railroads, banking, urban planning, and politics, leaving the average person or poor people to be just pawns to their every desire. Wayne says that as mayor, he will lift everyone out of poverty in Gotham, and his, and his attitude reeks of the belief that the philanthropy of the wealthy is the only charity or outside assistance that is needed, as suggested by Carnegie. Further, the rich members of society, because they are rich, know better than the poor commoners on how to run a society because they have succeeded in said society. I was wondering if you agree with my reading of Thomas Wayne. Thank you guys for everything you do and keep up the awesome work. This is why this is exactly why I wanted to like this movie so bad, because this movie fucking goes at the lie that rich people are going to save everyone, Um, which is a Mm -hmm. thing that I you guys all know uh, think (laughs) is insane. And so as soon as that shit was happening, I wanted to like this movie so much more than I did because of that. Because I do think that's a totally accurate read, that they're positioning part of the failure as this idea that everyone accepts that Thomas Wayne, rich man, knows what to do because he's Thomas Wayne, rich man. And I think that that's like a huge part of why, like, I think that's one of the more sympathetic parts of the movie to me is this idea that, like, by defaulting to, like, doing what the rich people say, look what happened to Gotham. It mm-hmm. fell the fuck apart, and and social services get cut, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what what is Thomas Wayne going to do to fix that? He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to be like, tax me more, please. Yeah. All right, we're going to do one last one. We're going to skip the voicemails, but if you guys do want to send us a voicemail, 213-534-8807 or 21ElfHut07. This last one is from Martine. He has some questions about Ad Astra, but we're going to skip that. Just focus on the Joker today. He says, since it had a great opening weekend, regardless of some bad juju, what's your opinion on what will happen business-wise? Do you think this will open the door for more comic book character studies or good old Hollywood will just take the wrong lesson and do some gritty spin-off comic book IP? Totally not rhetorical. I, for one, am an optimist that movies throw a rent that movies throw a wrench into Hollywood's conventional wisdom and we might see more of this and or Loganish takes rather than further insistence on building universes. I certainly hope so. I think so. This movie made a lot of money over the weekend. Yep. I've had some people just in conversation pitch me ideas on these kind of versions. One of my favorite one was this woman who used to work with us named Siobhan. I'm totally giving her credit for this because this is her idea and it's amazing. But she wants to do a Star Wars movie called Palpatine. And it's about Palpatine as a young (laughs) lawyer in the Galactic Senate. (laughs) That's great. And he becomes from a idealist to a cynic who will one day become a Sith Lord. Brava. I would I I would yeah, I would pay to see that movie. Fuck yeah. Totally. And I would I would love to see all sorts of movies like that. You know, just like the Lincoln lawyer or but in space. You know, why not? If it takes a comic book character to get people to the movies. And we can make good movies again. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds terrific. That sounds like a good compromise for sure. That's, I think, what happened here. Todd Phelps yeah. like, I want to make a really good movie. They're like, you can only make a good movie with a big budget if it's a comic book movie. And it's like, okay, I'll yeah. figure that out. And Logan was terrific too. It's totally a crossover kind of movie for people like me and Amanda who just were just more into like dramas. This is really cool and bringing us over. Do you think this will have a sequel? Probably not. Like, do you know, I can't imagine. Like, well, what, Keen Phoenix... I, I, do another like well first of all oh, it might this... be in the world i don't know if there were gonna be another one with joaquin phoenix but they might continue on this world somehow yeah. i mean anything's, anything's possible yeah. and if dc and warner brothers have any kind of yeah if, they're, if, they, if history repeats themselves itself there hopefully they don't screw it all up <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like d- yeah not continue a great legacy like no one left yeah. yeah, maybe they'll do those uh, those weird. I think you don't want the you don't want this to continue though, Lex. Right? You want this to no, go. No, this is fine. Like, I don't. I'm not opposed to this movie in like any sort of like like intense like 
serious way. I just think that, like, like I said, I think ideologically, a lot of people are making a bigger deal out of it than it actually is. I think it's a fine mm-hmm. movie. I think it's very good as a satire if that's what it's trying to do. But I think, <laughs> and I think that it's cool to make ambitious alternate frame comic book stories. Um, that's what I like about com- like that's the comics I like are like that, right? Like my fa- the only Batman books I like are the one where he's like straight up a detective, where it's like gothic yeah. noir shit, not like superhero stuff. Like I like that with all comic book stuff, and I think it's a really easy in. Um, and I'd like to see more in this world because like there's stuff in this movie, like I said, that I really liked. I just like. I th- like I said, I think that the only way I can really describe it is like this movie tried to like this, this movie had eyes bigger than its stomach in a lot of ways. And I think that I it suffers that. for that in a lot of ways. Hey, but, but at I, least it swung for the fences. Yeah, no. Totally. Shouts that's to that. I respect like, that's, that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd look, I'd rather bold. see a movie like this that like tries really hard and, and biffs it than a movie that just doesn't do anything. Yeah. This was the phantom thread of. Hell yeah. Oh man. Phantom Thread. All right, guys. Perfect. (laughs) We are going to sign off for now. Next week, we're doing the Breaking Bad movie. So uh, that comes out on Friday on Netflix. So until then, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Lux, for joining me. And we'll see you next time. Toodles. Later. Peace. Live from Hollywood, California. We're out.